Worcester Culture Watch, a podcast connecting you with the local culture scene in Worcester, arts, entertainment, music, and more. Worcester Culture Watch from the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Hello and welcome to Worcester Culture Watch on Telegram.com. I'm Victor Infante, entertainment editor for the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Later on in the program, we'll be talking to Richard Duckett about the moody blues and wings. But right now, we're here with Craig Seaman. Hi, Craig. Hi, uh, Victor. How are you today? I'm doing well. And why don't you tell us what you got up to yesterday? Well, Victor, uh, Avengers Assemble, sort of. After a dis- after disappointed fans who expected to see Captain America during an early afternoon film shoot Thursday on Ingleside a- Avenue off of Plantation Street, which was well publicized that Chris yeah. Evans was going to be there, a.k.a. the man behind the cap mask and red, white, and blue vibranium steel alloy shield was spotted on a closed set on Suffolk Street instead a few hours afterwards. The fact with the... Uh, the well-publicized event, uh, they did film, but Evans was a no-show, which yeah. disappointed 20 or so fans, some that uh, the first one got there probably around 10 uh, for 11 a.m. scheduled shoot, and by the time 11 rolled around, it was probably 25 or 30. People I talked to as far as Lull and also Woburn, one of those towns that I have trouble saying. Wilburn. Thank you. Uh, the out of town, I can say it better than <laughs> the local guy. I've been here a while now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, And there was a lot of uh, eagerly anticipated, a lot of young fans, uh, a lot of women, a lot of uh, um, guys, too. And uh, they all love Chris Evans. They all love what he's brought to uh, Captain America. And they have uh, love... Uh, the Avengers movies. Yeah, and I think people just like seeing watching a movie being filmed. I think I think that's still very novel and exciting out here. Right, and I did talk to one person who was a, a film student, and she uh, was uh, relishing when American Hustle, which is still the best movie filmed here. Definitely. Uh, uh, how that process, and she just was fascinated by the process. And uh, the new project is called Defendant Jacob, which is actually a television miniseries, which is not a negative when we've seen... No, we're in the golden age of television right now. Well, it's actually a streaming service, isn't it? It's it's Apple Apple TV+. Apple is putting a lot of money into buying top-tier talent for its... its I believe they did... Did they do the Jack Ryan thing? Was uh, that them? That's brand new. Yeah. Apple Apple's brand new. Oh, okay. Apple so. TV is Studios is brand new. Okay. They, um, we just had some store, wire stories in the paper not too long ago, announcing their they announced their existence and <laughs> um, yeah they're they're paying. We're this is one of the first things we're seeing from them. They're they're paying serious money to have top flight talent come in and do these shows. Yeah, and, uh, and, and Chris uh, Evans is a pretty good example of that. He's yeah, definitely as A-list as you get these days. Yeah, and uh, Defendant Jacob is based on a 2012 novel by the same name by William Landry. Uh, the book is set in Newton and uh, concerns a lawyer whose whole life changes when his 14-year-old boy, 14-year-old son is accused of killing a classmate, and it's played by uh, his son. Jacob is played by one of the uh, the it car- uh, cast members, uh I have his name somewhere, but uh, uh, so uh, it has the potential of being uh, an exciting thing. 
Yeah. Who knows? And uh, the exciting thing for me yesterday was uh, I got intel from one of my uh, informants. Who got sources. Yeah, that said, uh, it looks like they're doing this at Vincent's. Uh, Vincent's, uh, very, as we both know, a very popular and one of the coolest, if not the coolest bar in the city. Definitely. I mean, it's definitely in that upper tier. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I went in there um, around one, and I asked the bartender, uh, Thaddeus or Thad, uh, are they filming here later? And he said, oh, yeah, three to seven. I'm like, okay. And I went back, and uh, except for a few of the regulars and uh, Vincent himself, the owner. Ooh, Vincent actually was there? Yeah, uh, who pretty much gave the okay to move furniture. Uh, and it was a close set. Mm. Absolutely close. If you weren't doing a police detail or on the set or lucky enough to get in the bar, and we're talking three or four people, there was no way you saw this. Yeah. And uh, it was fascinating. Uh, Chris Evans was there. Uh, he filmed one scene probably 20, 15 to 20 times, and it was him crossing the street from the Complay Products Company uh, mm-hmm. factory. Uh, he walked through the archway, crossed the street to a SUV, uh, in front packed in front of Vincent's. Uh, he was arguing with someone who appeared to be a DA uh, about his situation with his son, whether or not you're charging him, what's going on here. So uh, it was good. And during the downtime, the cast and the crew were hanging out in Vincent's. And if you... Peek through the the right side window, you probably could see Chris Evans sitting in one of those director's chairs. Which leads us to the most important, one of two important <laughs> questions. The first most important question being, did Captain America eat a meatball sandwich? He did not. Oh. Oh. There was enough meatball sandwich. He would have had his soul if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> he did not eat a meatball sandwich. He uh, seemed intrigued a bit near the tail end of the decor. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a that's a pretty striking place. Yes, uh, there was a game. Uh, I guess Thaddeus, uh, who's fairly new there, yeah. he's been there a few years, but he's fairly new as the bartender. Um, he was playing a game with them. Uh, can you find the three shrunken heads in the place? <laughs> because there's three, uh, uh, quotes authentic shrunken heads in the place, and one you see right off the bat and. But as he explained, they were in clear view, and it was bothering it. The bother one of the guys a lot that he couldn't find it, but especially when it was like right in front of him. Oh, it's always that place is so busy. Your eye goes all over Uh, the place there. I mean, I love it, but it's funny because Vincent's is the bar I like to drink at. (laughs) I don't actually like to see it, and I know there's good shows. I know Duncan Arcel's got his wonderful Wednesday night residency there. But that's the bar I like to kind of hide from everything at. <laughs> well, it's a good hideaway bar. I yeah, mean. that's that's where I like to go for a quiet drink. That's my, <laughs> yeah, my favorite place for that. And, uh, and which I've now just revealed to the world. <laughs> if you're looking for a hideaway, uh, Vincent, a uh, uh, Victor, he's usually there. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, Chris Evans as a person, what I, I he looks like Captain America. Mm-hmm. He's a handsome guy. He still uh, has the beard. Okay. He still has uh, the Captain America, or uh, the the one from the last Avengers. Well, then that that he must have grown that back then because he's been in shot. Okay. In the trailers without it now. Okay, so maybe uh, they. So he's bro- probably grown it back. Okay, he might have grown it back, or he likes it, or whatever. And then they decided it was good for it. He's uh, uh the height you would expect him to be. Uh, he did have a Avengers official. 
Avengers jacket on, which was kind of cool, which he took off, obviously, during scenes. The movie's supposed to take place in June, so uh, he was in a, a hoodie oh. for the scenes, and then whenever him and the, the woman who was playing the district attorney ended their scenes, they got covered up real quick with a heavier jacket, because it wasn't a warm day. Before hypothermia. Yeah, it wasn't a warm day. Uh, My close encounter, so to speak, to him, uh, you could only leave Vincent's when the the scene was done. So I walked out the door, and then I saw that uh, Chris was coming in, so I'm like, well, time to go back in. So I opened the door, and because he was behind me, I held it open for him, and he said, thanks, man. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. You know, there are people that would pay for that. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> unlike uh, when uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey said, get out of the way, man, <laughs> at Clark University. Well, that's another to story. be fair that you had been following him for six hours. <laughs> but, yeah. No, but yeah, yeah. so I think we can, you know, since that we can pretty safely tell our, re- tell our listeners that Captain America did not reveal the end of Endgame to no. you. No, I, I mean, he's, uh, Chris seems like a very nice guy, but off, uh, off camera, he, he keeps to himself. Uh, he, he didn't talk to, the only person I actually saw him talk to when the camera wasn't running was uh, his co-star in the scene. Mm. Uh, people seem to, because I, he's the A-list star, keep uh, their distance from him. Uh, and uh, he was uh, seemed very active with the phone, whether it was tw- uh, Twitter or tweeting to people. Yeah, well, you know, Twitter. He has a big presence on Twitter. Yeah, he has he, he has a very dramatic presence on Twitter. <laughs> and I realized when I tweeted, uh, uh, Chris Evans is in Vincent's right now. I'm like, oh, gee, someone here might see this and realize I'm in here. <laughs> but yeah. That yeah, that's okay. Nobody at Vincent's actually checks Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, this is actually a really interesting time for this to be happening because this will probably make it the first major project after his long tenure as Captain America. I guess I I know last year he was filming a project with Daniel Craig. I oh, okay. Uh, and I, I I don't have my notes on that, so I don't know when that one is coming. Yeah, up. I mean the production schedule for TV and streaming is tends to be much tighter than it yeah. is for um and for people, um, movies and people. St- uh, not you and I, but people tend to forget most of his work on Endgame, the big movie on April was done a while ago. Was probably done a while ago. So. Yeah, they were they shot most of Infinity War and Endgame simultaneously. Correct. So I mean that project is probably what two years behind them now, except for except for reshoots, reshoots and yeah. later shoot. Yeah, you know, there were later shoots. I think they did the last scenes. Like, I think I remember seeing an announcement for yeah. late last year or so. But, I mean, that's an, it's still, I mean, it's a while back, but yeah, it's, so we'll probably, you know, we might see him in a few things before this. Right. But. And you think about, you know, he's doing this project now, and I'm gathering from the, the, the way things are when it comes to the corporate machine, he's going to be really doing the, the Blitzkrieg of press. Oh, of course. In the next week, I hit the camels and the Fallons and whatever else, the red carpet uh, on at least two coasts and who knows, maybe Europe and... uh, Oh, no, no, no. It's going (laughs) to be Shanghai. It's going to be Beijing. It's going to be Singapore. It's going to be London, Paris. I mean, Berlin. A movie like this, which which is already threatening to be the biggest opening of all time, it's already broken the record for advanced sales. Yeah. Um, 
it's probably you know a movie like that. You you do the opening thirty times at this oh, absolutely. point. Absolutely, you do it as many times as you can. Yeah, they, you know every country that almost every country major that you know <laughs> the <laughs> opening in. You're out. You know part of the cast is going to be there, and I imagine they're they're going to be dragging him out to as many of them as they humanly can. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean that's the great you know thing about a movie like this the entire cast is almost all a-list stars so right. you know they're you, you can get away with five or six of them at oh, any absolutely. given moment and that satisfies the crowd <laughs> it's like oh it's only scarlett johansson and chris hemsworth what am i ever am i going to do oh it's only chadwick boseman you know <laughs> well it's funny you mentioned uh those guys uh, uh everybody seems to uh, love uh, captain america a lot of, and I, as I explained to some of them uh, on Ingle's side, I never was a big fan of the book, but he's brought so much to the role that he's actually my favorite Avenger mm. in the film, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mine too, actually. Uh, but it seems like a lot of women love Chris Helmsworth. They, uh, they love uh, Steve Rogers or they love uh, Chris Evans, but they love Thor. Well, you know, he has he has a special place in people's hearts, and he's and, he, and he's a perfect <laughs> and he's a perfect Thor too. I mean, yeah, no, I, I, Thor was the one I did I did never knew believed they would be able to pull off. I I I was reluctant on Captain America because it would be so easy to get him wrong, right? And you know, Thor just seemed impossible. Yes, and they did it. Yeah. I I honestly I'm I am impressed and amazed with the actors, with the writers and directors, and the whole team. This whole this whole Marvel Cinematic Universe thing is it is easily the most ambitious movie project ever made. Oh, absolutely! By miles, and the fact that they're—I mean, we haven't seen the 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 end game of Phase Three yet here, but you know, the fact that we've gotten this far without a real fumble. I mean, there's no Howard the Duck in this mix. No, no, there's, no, there's <laughs> nothing to be embarrassed by. No. Um, the worst of the movies are just a fun flick. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I still think Iron Man 3 was the worst, but that's my I, opinion. I, I'm kind of on Iron Man 2, but, you know. <laughs> there we go. All right. I think that about does okay. it here. So that wraps this up. We'll be back in a moment with more, but right now this is Undercovers by Jaffet. Do a motherfucking legend for my has been. I've been attacking the mic. 
microphone with a passion If I ever make it big, you'll be the last one to cash Wake in Wake up, everybody's prayers for you ain't to make So do they really got love for you? Or do they just fake it? Do they really got love for you? Or do they just love to use you? Cause something's just an opportunity, yeah That's how these fake friends will do They present what you want Just to take what they need And when they can no longer benefit from your life, well That's when their loyalty leaves Listening to Undercovers by Worcester rapper Jafet or Worcester area rapper. I'm actually not all that familiar with his work, but I'm really starting to become a fan. So now I'm here with Richard Duckett. Hi, Richard. Hello, Victor. And usually when Richard and I sit down, we're talking classical music or something of that ilk, but today we're going to talk a little classic rock, aren't we? <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's uh, an interesting uh, show coming up at the Bull Run Restaurant on uh, April 14th, and it's Denny Lane and the Moody Wing Band. And the title of the band sums up, in a way, Denny Lane's uh, career. He was uh, an original member of the Moody Blues, sang the lead on their first hit, Go Now, and he was later um, a member of Paul McCartney's Wings. And to be fair to Denny, he's also gone on to enjoy a very good uh, solo career. Um, and he's put together this band, and they're going to perform um, the Moody Blues first album complete, which was The Magnificent Mood Moody's. Mm-hmm. And... His, he and his band are also going to perform complete um, Band on the Run, which was uh, Paul McCartney and Wings's biggest hit, I think. Yeah, and I think we are, we were both in agreement that Band on the Run is probably Wings's best album. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, the interesting thing about um, Denny Lane and the Moody Blues is that um, 
if you listen to Go Now, um, as I have um, many times, it was a great hit in 1964. It went to the top of the UK charts and number 10 of the charts here. But if you were to listen to that on its own, you know, it's a great R&B cover. You know, it, you know it's, it rocks, it's pop, it's got great heartfelt vocals, rolling piano. If you listen to that on its own, I don't think most people could predict that from that would come what we now know as the Moody Blues with Nights in White Satin, Isn't Life Strange, and and so on. Um, that sort of lusher sound. Yeah, that, symphonic, like, yeah. progressive rock. Um, you know, Go Now is not progressive rock, at least I, I wouldn't have thought so, uh, whereas Nights in White Satin clearly is with, you know, with an orchestra and uh, almost a choir, you know, behind um, behind the vocals of Justin Haywood. Well, the interesting thing is, talking to Denny Lane, uh, he pointed out to me that uh, perhaps uh, the roots were already there in uh, Go Now. Oh. Although, by the same token, um, by, by the time the Moody Blues released their second album, Days of Future Past, uh, Denny Lane had gone. <laughs> and that is, for most listeners out there, is probably the album that most people are familiar with. Yeah, that's the one that really catapulted the Moody Blues and defined their sound. And uh, it had Nights in White Satin, which was their biggest hit of mm -hmm. all time. Um, but Denny Lane of Go Now was long gone. Um, and uh, apparently the uh, parting was uh, amicable. Um, he doesn't seem to hold any, uh, any grudges. He just felt that uh, for various reasons, uh, he wanted to do some other things on his own. Now, he is playing material from the Moody Blues' first album. Does yeah. he actually play in a, any of their later material? No, no, no I, didn't I, really I, I, well, I, I don't believe he does. I have seen other bands mm. where musicians will do that just out of courtesy to the audience. Or yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't believe so. Uh, no, it's going to be the Magnificent Moody's and, uh, and Wings. But he points out that um, Go Now has actually had uh, quite an original arrangement. Um, the piano, the prominence of the piano was unusual for um, uh, a rock pop song of that time. Especially 64, yeah. And um, the pianist was um, not too far away from moving on to the Mellotron. And so... Mm. Um, uh, Denny Lane said uh, they would have gone to the Mellotron whether he had stayed or, 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 or gone. So, um, so yeah, the roots were there even at the very beginning. Well, and it's funny because Denny Lane has had such a front row seat to rock and roll history. That, uh, that amazing stretch of going with what would become the Moody Blues and then would, you know, Paul McCartney's first major project after leaving the Beatles... Yeah, and so he said that um, the Moody Blues and the Beatles became friends uh, in the oh. 60s. Uh, uh, apparently, they both liked each other's music, and mm. um, friendships were formed. And partly for that reason, when Paul McCartney started to think about forming Wings around 1970, mm -hmm. 1971, uh, he gave uh, Denny Lane a call and asked him, so to, him to come on board. Yeah, yeah. Wow, excellent. Wow, that, that's a pretty high endorsement there. And um, Wings ran from, I think, 1971 to about 1981. Mm. There were lots of personnel changes, but Denny Lane was always there at the core. Really, it was a trio core. It was Paul McCartney, 
uh, Denny Lane, and then always Linda McCartney, yeah. uh, McCartney's late wife, who um, he um, who Denny Lane said was really a very very good person, very encouraging person. Um, I remember that uh, she didn't always get the best of press when um, when when she was. Um, married to Paul McCartney, and and Paul McCartney was at the height of Wings, and uh, and mm-hmm. she was regarded as some people spoke spoke of her in almost almost like she was a Yoko Ono type of figure, but uh, he says that really, really she wasn't. In fact, even really, Yoko Ono wasn't really as much of a Yoko Ono figure. <laughs> well, yeah, these are these are the perceptions at at the time, uh, yeah. um, uh, which which evidently uh, were wrong. So, um, yeah, but she, but apparently, Linda McCartney was very encouraging to Paul McCartney, who did go through a period of depression, mm. um, and apparently, she encouraged him, and, and he was living in the north of Scotland, um, miles away from anywhere. Um, and uh, it was her that uh, got him to get Wings up and flying. So, um, and Wings had a ten-year career. That's not bad. Indeed, uh, by by, I mean that's longer than the Beatles were together. Really. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. Now, were you a Moody Blues fan? Yes. Yes. Definitely. Um, although, you know, I had always um, been puzzled by the fact that they could have done Go Now and then uh, Nights in White Satin. But yeah, I loved um, I loved British progressive rock. I must mm. admit, um, uh, the Moody Blues, the Nice, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I was a fan of all of those. Excellent. No, I yeah, because that's that is a. Cla- uh, set of music I didn't really come around to until much later until I was well I was young at the time but until <laughs> I was you know into my well into my adulthood that I could kind of finally get around and appreciate it and get over my rock snobbery yeah I mean there's no there's no doubt about it that um, it could often be very pretentious yeah um, uh, <laughs> but I mean even 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 but you can also, I think, uh, smile listening to some of the pretentiousness. I actually think it's, I, 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 I mean, let's face it, a lot of rock and roll is over the top. It is kind of meant to be. But I think there's just sort of an embracing of that sort of pretentiousness there that I just actually find kind of endearing now. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the nice, um, um, they did a, their version of America, is I think a classic, but if you listen to uh, a number of their uh, a number of their songs also, uh, I mean, uh, a piece like Diamond App, Di- Diamond Sky Blue Apples of the Moon, it's, it's so bad, but it's actually good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, even bands that, you know, I have had lifelong loves for say um oh rush you know they have a song like bitor and the snow dog from that early <laughs> 70s there and i can't justify that song i love that song but i cannot justify it as a critic at all but you know the, sometimes you know it's hard not to just love these things no matter how ridiculous they get right and right. of course you were i i imagine you were a wings fan yeah i liked wings um but I must admit that um, I preferred the solo. If we're talking about the Beatles, I preferred the solo efforts of John Lennon mm-hmm. uh, much more. I think he achieved much more as a solo artist. Um, and also George Harrison did some did some wonderful things uh, after the Beatles Beatles broke up. Um, Paul McCartney did. 
did well too, but um, as much as I admired and liked Wings, they were never something that I was going to necessarily come home and put on the turntable and listen to um, on a regular basis. Uh, I was, they, weren't, they weren't overwhelming. They were good, solid, a good time, but, but they're not something I, I think about a lot. Mm. It was funny because I was just thinking my, when I was a teenager, my uncle basically gave me his record collection which is probably the start of my career as a music writer right there. You know, and Band on the Run was one of those albums um, and some other albums. And I did become very invested in that album, even though I look back and parts of it are crazy. The way he just, and, I mean, he started doing this with the Beatles, just jumping from what is a song, you know, what is one song and then to suddenly a completely different song that has no bearing whatsoever and then you know and over and over and all in the same track and i think now it's this indicative of this wild mind i think paul mccartney even now is still wildly creative yes oh of course Bri- i mean brilliant but you know i i think very little little tethers him down <laughs> i i'm not always sure there's a good editor <laughs> for him and i would not want to be the guy that edits edits Paul McCartney. But I mean, that, that, that untamed imagination, it could be good, it could be bad, but it's never boring, which I've always admired. Yes, yes. I mean, some of his lyrics could be um, pretty banal. Um, yeah. Um, he, he, he missed uh, John Lennon, I think. Uh, I think so. And he's admitted as much, in, in, especially in recent days. Right, right. But um, yeah, no, I mean, John Lennon, you know, he he. I actually think John Lennon was a better songwriter solo, but you know, I can. I don't think he enjoyed quite as much commercial success. Well, imagine but he did. Ima- <laughs> imagine. imagine was was a huge hit. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, I, I I think some some stuff you don't hear so much about now um, that Lennon Lennon did with Yoko Ono uh, is, uh, is 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 very good and. Uh, Stands stands the test of time. You know, dream number nine, and uh, and um, and a number of things he did. The plastic Yono, y- y- the plastic Ono, ono band, band yeah. is the the live in Montreal album is one of my favorites of all time. Mm. Absolutely one of my favorites. And I actually find I had, and I've written about this before, a moment where I think. I crossed a threshold in taste and music appreciation when I was able to start listening to Double Fantasy with his work, big seminal work with, mm. with Yoko Ono and not fast forward the songs where she does the vocals. Right, yes. And I can yes. actually sit through them. I think I have broke, that was sort of a breaking of a bias dam in my head, I think. And I, 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 I actually now really love that album. Yes, I know, yeah. And it showed the promise of what could have come uh, until it was cut down so quickly after that yeah before we go though uh, can you tell me a bit about um his mr um denny denny's um solo work well yeah he well he was um besides the moody blues and and wings he was also involved with um ginger baker's air force which, oh, wow. uh, which was which uh, was a had a brief flight, but a legendary one. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and he also was in a band I think called the Electric 
string band, uh, if I have mm-hmm. that right. Yep. And um, he's gone on to record 12 solo albums, um, uh, showing that he's, he keeps up to date. And uh, he formed the Moody Wing Band out of um, a couple of... Uh, um, with, with some veteran musicians that he knows... Um, they're not they're not together all the time because some of the other band members have other commitments. So when he's not performing with his own Moody Wing band, he also performs solo. He told me and um, just brings along his guitar and tells uh, a lot of stories. And uh, he's got a lot of stories. To I tell. imagine he would. That's that's got to be a crazy career. <laughs> crazy. I mean, he. Um, He's from Birmingham, England, originally, but now I think he lives most of his time in the United States. Right, right. So, at, well, wow. So we have, you know, he's going to be playing two, you know, historic, you know, playing his way through two historic albums at Bull Run, which is, of course, a great place to see something like that because you're pretty much right up close with no matter where you are in the house. Yeah, that's 7.30 p.m., April 14th. Um and um, you can read the story in um, this Thursday's Go section. That's right. That's right. It is right there on the cover of Go this week. Well, in that case, you have been listening to Worcester Culture Watch. For more, read our arts and entertainment coverage in the Worcester Telegram and Gazette and online at telegram.com. As always, our music was composed by DJ Manipulator. Thanks, and we'll be back next week.